0: Today is September 11th, 2016. The title of today's sermon is Basic Simplification. Basic Simplification. Probably because I'm close to the board there. Um, If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to start off in Hebrews Chapter 6, verse 1. Say there when you're there. And everybody's getting their notebooks ready. It's that first scripture of the day. You've got to get everything in the right spot. We're going to have a good time in the house of the Lord today. We're going to continue to have a good time in the house of the Lord today. I feel like that today is is one of those sermons, uh, what the Lord is doing in this season for us. I think it started much before today. I'm happy to... Pick up the baton and run with my portion of this. I think it's very important that we make sure that we go through and have a clear understanding of what the actual Word of God says for us to do in our lives. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says this Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings. Everybody say elementary. Elementary. Remember those? I mean, most of us, uh, most of our kids have gotten back into school here or close thereof. Our family will start this week sometime. <laughs> you have to leave the elementary teachings. What happens when you have a, uh, my daughter Anna is is six years old? There are things that I present to Anna in a certain way that I should not present to Olivia in the same way, because Olivia is more mature and should be able to handle those concepts. Likewise for Gabriel. Um, let, let's just start with this. What do you tell a little small child? Let's, let's make it even younger than six. What do you tell a small child about where babies come from? <laughs> As, as little as possible, right? <laughs> the correct answer is, comes from mommy's belly. Well, uh, that's not technically correct. You see a midsection that grows, but we're not talking a belly. That produces the wrong type of exit plan. <laughs> Should have thought about that one more before I said it, but it's all right. But at some point, the reason that we're all laughing is because we have the mature version of what that is about. And so it's generally kind of correct-ish, but it's something that allows us to not go into the full depth of what it is. It's too much for a a small child to handle. We don't want to have to go into all that. So you, you skip past it and you make a simplified version. You have a basic simplification going on there. That is, or more or less... Uh, What it's supposed to be. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Everybody say maturity. maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Let's just stop right there. A foundational piece that we should have as believers is a repentance from acts that lead to death. You know what our society is drastically lacking nowadays is a repentance from anything. Well, hey, brother, we Jesus accomplished all that on the cross. And babies are in mama's bellies. Sure, sure he did. But what does that mean? Can we have a little bit more of a mature version of this, a mature understanding of this, rather than an elementary teaching? Are you guys ready to go on some to maturity today? Yes. Let's, let's, let's look at it further. Let's, let's look at it further about this, this basics. When you're a child in math, right? When you're in early in school, I look at Ella, beautiful Ella Treister glowing with child number two, right? She was a math teacher, much smarter than, 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 I, than I hope to be, right? So we would go through, and some of the basic things in math are this. Uh, does anybody recognize what this number is? That is the number pi. Do not get hungry, but this is the number for pi. That's actually, um, this is what you look at, but let's see. That's really not what the number is, is it? Pi is a number is a number that is never-ending and never-repeating. It doesn't have enough of a repeat for you to do that. It's really something more like this. That's correct, by the way. (laughs) That's L.C.M. Strong! (laughs) Let's close in prayer. Thanks. That's all I got. (laughs) One trick pony right there. So, so when we say that pi is equal to 3.14, what are you leaving out? You're leaving out an infinitesimally long problem here. Uh, Actually, there are, there are people in the world who, to show off their mental prowess, they do this to 10,000 digits. Okay? So I'm, just because this is, um, because this is LCM and I don't have anything to erase it with. That's all right. So let's just go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Okay? Let's just do that. Now, what's the difference between 3.14 and 3.142857? Well, I guess it matters how big the problem is. If we're talking in inches, maybe there's, that's kind of a, a, small, a small problem. But what if we start, let's just do this. Let's multiply it. Oh, I don't know. Let's make it, uh, let's multiply it out to a million here. Okay? So if we multiply it out to a million, I think I'm doing this right, you get 3,142,857. So what am I saying? The difference between 3.14 and this, let's just say, let's say we're doing inches. How many feet are in 2,857 inches? I have no idea. It's a lot. What if this is miles? We're going to try to circumnavigate the globe. Does 3.14 matter? Does 2,857 miles matter in your destination? (laughs) Absolutely. It's the difference between ending up on one coast or the other coast of the United States. Right? What if this is lives that matter? Do 3,000 lives matter? What we want to do today is get past this basic simplification Basic simplification. It's. It, I was kind of. Uh, in Christianity, we don't do one three point one four. I think in Christianity, we kind of simplify things down to this. That's true. Turn to John three sixteen for me. John three sixteen. What a what a great passage. Would you do this for me? Would you not? basically simplify what's going on in John 3.16 yet? Would you not tell me what you already know? Let's just get there and we're going to read it together. John 3.16. What a great verse. What a fantastic verse. Even our athletic stadiums carry banners, poster boards, with John 3.16 all over it, right? Okay. Amen. Let's start reading together in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Actually, let's do that again. And Why don't you just say it with me, quote it with me, read it with me, however you'd like. 316. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Good job, you guys are you're, you're helping me preach today. I appreciate that. Let's let's go to the next verse. Let's just do one more verse. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Next verse: Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Amen. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Um, let's go back to 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Do you know why that He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world? Because it's already condemned. It's already condemned. It stands condemned because God has already condemned it. If you do not believe in Him, can you put verse 18 on the screen, please? Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Woo! But whoever does not believe, how many does that go to? All of humanity. Until you put your faith and your hope in Him, you stand condemned already. That's That's why Jesus didn't have to come in and condemn the world. It's already there, people. It's already there. Because He has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Everybody say "verdict." verdict. Wait, wait. But 3.16 says that God so loved the world. we're going to get back to that in just a second. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. How do you know that the men loved darkness instead of light? Because of, their deeds. of what they were doing. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Everybody say hate. hate. We start off the passage with God so loved... And now we've gotten a verdict that says everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Like the little cockroaches that they are. You don't want to come into the light. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. How do you come into the light? Live by the truth. So that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Does it matter that we stop at John 3.16? John 3.16? Does it matter? Does it matter that we get a gospel that we try to basically simplify? Does, does it matter that we have a basic simplification going on to our gospel that at some point it's just not the gospel anymore? We've got some elementary version of this and we go, man, we got it. We are good. God so loved the world. You know what that word world is? Let me help you. God so loved the cosmos. The number for cosmos is, in the Greek, it's 2889. For those of you who want to go look that up further, 2889, cosmos. The meaning of cosmos is order, regular disposition, and arrangement. God so loved the creation that He made that He sent His Son. But what did He send His Son to do? Okay? We we think we know it, but let's be careful that we haven't simplified things a little bit too much. What happens in Genesis chapter 1? You you don't need to turn there. We're going to talk through this. What happens in Genesis 1? There was, what? Darkness that was there. And what did God do on day 1? He introduced... From the very beginning of the story, we see that the world is in chaos... That the cosmos, there's something wrong in the cosmos. So you know what God's answer is? It's not to say, pretend like there's no darkness. What He does is He sends His light into the darkness. And things start being separated between the dark and the light. And the rest of this story, all the way through, turn to John chapter 1. We're right here in John 3. Turn to John chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Keep going. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Right, kind of. Isn't that the first part of that sentence? Through him all things were made. And just so you're not confused. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, we are I got it now. Next verse. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I've heard Pastor Eric teach this before, and and when you're going down through John, one thing that my friend taught me was that you can replace the word light with life, and it works all the way throughout John. You know, you can also replace the word light with Jesus, and it works all the way throughout the book of John. Take a look in verse um, 6. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through Him all men might believe. He Himself was not the light or the life. He Himself was not Jesus, which He was directly asked. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then we get, so we see Genesis chapter 1. There is light that comes into the darkness because God cared about the world. So He begins a plan to enact, to correct, to fix this world, this fallen world. In, in John chapter 3, we see that Jesus is the light that came into the world to fix it. God so loved the cosmos that He inserted Jesus Christ into this as light. You know where we end up the story in Revelation 21. The new city, Jerusalem, comes down from the heavens that God's place is now with men here. Here. Versus us going there. He comes down to be with us here. And you know what? The Bible says that there's no more need for a sun. You know why? Because he's the light. In Genesis 1, you figure out that, uh, by the way, the light was given before there was a sun. When you look at things in such a simplified version that we look at the sun and we equate that to light. God does not. He says, I am the light. We see in John, in the book of John that Jesus is the light of the world. So from beginning to end, we have God so loving His creation, His cosmos, the order, the arrangement of things, that He is sending light into it to pierce the darkness. I love that thought. Because the world stands condemned already. It's our job to be the light. If we really think that God loves the world, yay, He loves the world, but what does it mean? We have to have a more mature understanding of it than this. When I start thinking about this, I think of uh, uh, one of my favorite Bible characters. I think of David. What is the stereotypical thing? If I say King David, what is the one thing that everyone in the room should know about David? David. Man after God's own heart. Can we uh, put up on the screen Acts thirteen twenty two? After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning, concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. How do you know that David had a heart after God? By what he did. Oh, that's right. He did everything the Lord wanted him to do. Now we know the story of David, right? We know how many mistakes he made and he was a man after God's heart. Don't you just love that about David? Don't you just think about, uh, I think about him being a shepherd even before he rose to be a king? Let's take a look at this heart that is after God. Let's turn to Psalm 139. What a great passage. Psalm 139. You guys with me? Yes. All right. Psalm 139, verse 17. I love David. God. I want to have a heart like David. How about you? Do you? Yeah, I definitely do. Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now, let's, I'm not going to try to quantify that. David's saying, if I try to count your thoughts, it's as silly as me trying to count the grains of sand on a beach. On ten beaches. On all the beaches in the world. I'm going to count the grain of sand. The grains of sand. It, Lord, your thoughts are limitless. How precious they are to me. Every single one of them. Every time I find a thought, I think It's incredible. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Look at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow. What an incredible thing. Oh, you know what? (laughs) I think I skipped a few verses. I hate it when this happens, but I was talking about basic simplification and and I skipped a few. How about we go back and read those together? Let's do it. Amen. Let's go back to verse 19. This man that is after God's own heart says, If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God. Hey, folks, have we overly simplified this gospel? Are we trying to make something that is not there? Are are we trying to just look at it and see only... What David is saying here is, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know why? I want you to search me, Lord, to know that those that you hate are the same ones that I hate. Pastor, are you preaching a sermon on hate? I absolutely am. Lest we stay in an elementary fashion... since I have a board here. This is my depiction of religion. You can insert the word denomination. You can insert, the word, insert any word you like here. This is what... Let's just go with denomination here for a second. This is what we try to define as God. We, put, we literally put God in a box. We literally stick him here and say, this is what we know about God. We have 14, 17, 25 definable doctrine points that you can go to. Because we have defined God. We know his limits. We know where he stands. And you know what most church services are? Trying to figure out different ways for a preacher to preach only what's inside the box. What's the problem with only teaching what's inside the box? Like it's pretty boring, doesn't it? How many years can you go to church and not have figured out every one of their 14 points of doctrine? So you know what we do? Is we want to keep hearing, just keep teaching me. Keep teaching me exactly what I already know. But I want you to do it in a way that entertains me. Because you want me to keep coming and paying tithes to you. How in the world do we think it's okay to put God and confine Him to any set? To anything? What happens if God wants to show you something that's right here? The problem with denomination is you can't do that without exiting a denomination, or at least exiting the basic premises of these things. Does this make sense to you? We are trying to get to a mature version so that we do not have a gospel that is basically simple. Let's look at the things. We've taken David, who says, do I not hate those who hate you? I'm going to, we're going to go through a list of scriptures now. The list is 21 verses long. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Welcome to LCM. There have been people who visited with us and they're like, oh my gosh, I read more verses today than I've read like in the last month. Well, shame on you if this list extends beyond what you've read in the past month, but we're going to read it together. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 20. And verse 5. Amen. Exodus 25 says this You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Of who? Those who hate hate me. Those who hate me. Verse 6. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. There are people who actually hate the Lord. We have to have a mature understanding to know that there are people who hate the Lord and there are people who love Him. We live in a day that has so overly simplified things that we can't even tell that. We just think, that God so loved the world, I guess that's the one key that unlocks all of the Scripture. That's the one grain of sand that we're supposed to hold on to. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Deuteronomy 5, 9 says this. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I... Wait, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? it does. Oh, it should sound familiar. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Just in case you missed it the first time with what God was saying, they came back and they said it again to make sure that we knew the importance. Deuteronomy 7, just flip the page, verse 10, it says this. But those who hate Him, He will repay to their face. In the face. face. But those who hate Him, He will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate Him. He's not going to be slow. It's not like God's just going to go, well, they don't like me, I guess it's okay. No, He's going to repay them, and they're going to know that it's Him that did it. It's one thing to have a sneak attack. This is not the kind of God we serve. He's going to say, (laughs) every eye will have to look at Him. Pastor Eric referenced it at the beginning. Heaven and earth will flee away. It's just going to be you there standing before the King of all creation. And He's going to repay us to our face. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned this before. We just read seven ten. Can you go back to seven ten on the screen? But those who hate him, he will repay to their face. Can you go back to uh, seven nine? Just one verse before. Note, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love. So we see in verse nine, we are talking about His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and is keeping his commands. We just read it in Exodus. We just read it in Deuteronomy and here it is again and then the next verse, put it on the screen. But those who hate him. The same God who has the covenant of love will repay to their face those that hate him. How how is your theology doing today? How is it doing? Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verse 40 says this, I lift my hand to heaven and declare as surely as I live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasp it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. Wait, I, We've got to have a more mature understanding than God is love. I can summarize the whole Bible and it's God is love. I am not in any way saying that that is not an accurate description. I'm saying that may be an elementary description of it, and it is definitely not a full description of who he is. Do not try to go for a binary. Zeros and ones, right? It's either this or this. You know, as human beings, we all love, we actually love to have rules placed on us. Because when we have rules placed on us, I don't have to be mature at all. I don't have to be mature. I could just follow the rule. If you're, gonna, if you're wanting today me to get up here and say, guys, by the end of this, I'm going to have a nice, tidy little thing that we're going to put up there and three steps, and if you do these three steps, then every situation that you ever come across will be solved. I'm going to say, absolutely not. What this is going to require us as we read through these things and we find out there are things that God hates, you know what we're supposed to be hearing? God, if you hate it, What is my response to this? If I'm supposed to reflect the God of all creation, that means if He hates something, then I should learn to hate it as well. That That if He loves something, I've got to learn how to love that. We've spent so much time thinking only on the love of God that we've made the Gospel a basic simplification of what it really is. Goodness gracious. Lord, if You hate something, would You put within me a burning desire to hate it as well? Let me speak to the parents in here for just a second. It is a good thing, it is a good thing for your children to know that you can only push the authority in their life so far before there is some type of response. Amen. Now, if you hear in that, that you are full, there are people in the world who abuse their children. They abuse everything about that. You know what that doesn't do to this? It doesn't change that what I said was right. God will hold you accountable if you don't do this well, but I want my son to know that he can, only, he can only push me so far. There is only so much love and affection and mercy that I have because that will run out at some point. And when it runs out, I want my kids to be afraid of me. Yep. That's my personal, I think, scripturally backed view on how I want my kids to understand me. Gabe, come here for a second. I love my son. He's now taller than me. He's much better looking than I am. One day he will be stronger than me. Not today. (laughs) There was one point that my son, uh, this was years ago, he disrespected my wife in a way that is hard to imagine. He was, I don't know, 12, 13, and he thought that he could speak to my wife, his mother, like she was some small animal. I mean, it was just the height of idiocy from this guy. (laughs) True. Yes, sir. It's true. When I came uh, with a gentle... No, no. I lost it. And I came at him... Do you remember what you did? Sit down like Indian style. When I came at him and said, You will not, this is what he did. (laughs) With much more fear than he has now. And in the moment, I can't do it right now, but I took him by the shoulders and I picked him straight up and I was fussing at him just like this. He stayed in this exact configuration. (laughs) The landing gear never came down. (laughs) After about 15 seconds of me just railing him, I realized the landing gear never came down. (sighs) I realized at that moment how angry I was. So he was still Indian style. There was nothing touching the ground but his dad. (laughs) If you ever speak to my wife that way again, if you want to talk to her like you are some adult, I will take you outside and fight you like you're an adult. You can go sit down. You, know, you know what? You know what he never did again, as far as I understand? He never spoke to my wife that way again. He learned that lesson. I think he was afraid of dad. That is a good thing. We need to be afraid that our father's not going to be pleased with us if we think that we can love things that he hates or hate things that he loves. Either direction we should be very very afraid of who he is because he's going to repay those who actually hate him because the problem is is if we start loving what he hates maybe it shows that we are not his children. 2nd right. Chronicles chapter 19 2 Chronicles 19. We're going to start in verse... Oops, I'm in 1 Chronicles. That's why it doesn't make sense. 2 Chronicles 19. Let's start in verse 1. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord... Is upon you. Turn to Psalm chapter five. The wrath of the Lord is upon us when we love that which He hates. Psalm chapter five. Hey man, we're back to King David again, aren't we? Psalm chapter five, verse five. The arrogant cannot stand in Your presence. Isn't there something about smugness on people that just... is just something that rubs me the wrong way? If there are characters in a movie that I'm watching that are smug, I want to fight. It's not even real. This is made up. I want to fight somebody. Because of the arrogance. The Lord cannot stand... I'm sorry, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. David, the man after God's own heart, understood that God hates those who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. By the way, um, do you know what the word for hate here is? (laughs) This is great. You can't make this stuff up. That... Lest it sound like to you that I'm speaking insanity. This is the Hebrew. It's 81.30. You know know what the definition of sane is? When we're seeing these words, uh, hate each one of these that we say are hating right now, this is the word that's being used, right? You know what it is? Um, They say that it's the antonym, the opposite of the word ahab. It is the opposite of love. Well, may, well maybe maybe the scripture is not really meaning hate. Maybe it means like a distaste for. The word that is being used, there's an insanity to think that God can't hate somebody. It is actually the same version. That's not how you say it, right? This is the word, though, that is the opposite of love. It means exactly what you think hate means. Turn to chapter 11, Psalm eleven five. 5. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence. His soul hates. Wow. Whose soul? His soul. Okay, so, so work with me. Forgive my teacher background that comes out. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. So, whose soul is that? God. It's got to be God's, the Lord's soul. The Lord's soul hates it? The word that comes to mind is God has a visceral reaction to the wicked. When, when I come to church, uh, I see somebody like Abimbola. When I, when I see Abimbola, you know what happens? I immediately get happy. I'm like, I love that brother. He's awesome. When I see some of you guys, I walk in and I'm like, ah, I love this. I love my church. I'm trying not to make it corny. I just really love you guys that much. I walk in and I'm like, ah, I'm here at church. Have you ever had a situation where you can just look at someone, you can think about somebody, and your blood starts to boil? Yes. Apparently, you're reflecting the Lord in that feeling. You understand what He feels when He views the wicked. In your anger, do not sin. The Bible never says not to get angry. No matter how you've been brought up, no matter how you've been brought up, no matter uh, what your parents taught you. By the way, Amen. That only goes so far in your life, folks. That is not the forever excuse not to become mature in Christ. My parents didn't do it well. Well, la-dee-da, most of our parents didn't. So we're going to go ahead and be mature about this and say, you know what, it is not the, the end all to say, well, my dad was terrible. It's not. What we have to do is understand that no matter how we were taught, that it is a righteous thing. God put emotions in us. God put our intellect in us. God put our will in us. He is the one that formed us this way. So you know what? You're supposed to be angry at things. You are supposed to hate things that God hates. You are supposed to abhor things that God abhors. That's right. But the wicked and those who love violence, God's soul hates it. Turn to thirty one, chapter thirty one, Psalm thirty one six. This is David. David says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. David is reflecting God's, exactly what God has said before, but he's reflecting it. Turn to 45, verse 7. 45, 7 says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Turn to 81.15. Are you you getting a picture here? 81.15. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before Him and their punishment would last forever. If we would do what we're supposed to, those who hate the Lord would learn to cringe before Him. If we are His ambassadors and we respond the same way that Christ responds to them, then you know what they go? God, those people. What, what, is, the, what is the easiest excuse that people have for not wanting you to go to church? Christians are a bunch of... They say one thing and they do another. How about we say exactly what God says and we do exactly what He tells us? Amen. Then they will cringe. They can't dismiss... Those who are really walking in the Lord, you cannot dismiss a man who does that. You cannot dismiss a woman and say, Oh, they're a hypocrite. You're a liar and you know it. There's no hypocrisy found here. What we're saying is the words of God, and they, that hypocrisy thing goes away when they actually come in front of a man or a woman of God. Amen. That is not an excuse that comes. You can go up to Eric Stevens and tell him he's a hypocrite? He might be a lot of things. He ain't that. Right. You can walk up to Justin Treester and tell Justin is a hypocrite? Nope. Just silliness to think that. Turn to 97. Psalm 97.10. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols... Oops. 37.10. I was just kidding. 97.10. I'll slow down and get it right. Let those who love the Lord hate evil... For He guards the lives of His faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Turn to 119, verse 113. Psalm 119, verse 113. It says this, I hate double-minded men. (laughs) Wow. I can relate to that. But I love your law. We've already read out of 139 verse 17 turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. We know these as the seven deadly sins in churchianity, right? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. You know what those things are? Those are the things that the Lord hates. They're detestable to Him. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. It says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. (laughs) Wait, really? You ready for this math problem? We were talking about math earlier, right? So the fear of the Lord equals hating evil. Ta-da! Don't tell me about you fear the Lord if you don't hate evil. Don't tell me that you once read about the fear of the Lord and you've looked it up and you don't hate evil. This is not an acceptable thing because the Scripture says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. There is only one way to look at this. If you don't hate evil, then you don't yet have a true fear of the Lord because you cannot have a fear of the Lord unless you hate it. Do you want to hate evil? I want to hate it. You know why? Because God hates it. We have to have a mature view on this, folks. Proverbs 13, 5. The righteous hate what is false, but the wicked bring shame and disgrace. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The reason I put this one in here is the word enemy is the same word 8130. Wounds can, from a friend can be trusted, but one who hates the Lord multiplies kisses. It is the same word. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 8 says, A time to love and what? Read it out loud. Pastor Wade, we get it. You're you're beating this in the ground. Yes, yes, I am. Because you know what happens is most of the church world is so far pegged to the left about God's love that the thought, the thought that He's going to hate something. Let, let me let me um, give this metaphor for this. I feel like our church right now is at a point where we are a large ship that God is turning. To make sure that we stay perfectly on course. I don't think I can actually read enough scriptures to you for that when you go out, you're gonna hear it now and be like, Yes, Amen. Oh, yes, we agree. Pastor, you're going on yes, I'm going, I've got more too. It's got to be that we so have this message in our heart that we understand the fullness of who God is, so that we can go out and hate the evil. So that we can actually have a fear of the Lord, and then we begin to have some wisdom. Then we begin to have some knowledge and understanding of who He is, because we actually hate the things that He hates. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 8. Jeremiah 12:8 says this: "My inheritance has come to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me. therefore I hate her." Huh. When the Lord is sharing something with you, do, do you love to be corrected? Do you love it? Yes Do you treat it like it's oil upon your head? Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let a righteous man rebuke me because it is an oil upon my head and I will not refuse it. That has to be the way you are. If it is not the way you are, then you need to repent and love correction when it comes to you. Amen. Lest you prove that you actually hate the things of the Lord. And that you love yourself more than you love Him. Hosea chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 15. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. I will no longer love them. I hate them. Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5 and verse 15. Uh, let's go to verse 14. I'm going to read both of these back to back for you. Seek good, not evil. This is the way that most of us think about it, isn't it? Yes. We're going to seek good, and we're going to look for doing good and not as many things that are bad. That you may live, then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as, he, as you say He is. Whoa, wait a minute. If you're not act, actively seeking good and running away from evil, you're just saying that He's with you. You're, the Almighty will save you and be with you just as you say He is. Read the next verse. Hate evil. Wait, I thought, we, I thought we were supposed to be seeking good and avoiding evil. It's not enough for you just to avoid evil. Great, you avoided evil. Congratulations. Congratulations. You have to hate evil and love the good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps, (laughs) this was so good last week, Pastor Eric, perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. I learned something this morning. I learned a lot of things this morning, by the way. But I learned this particular thing and I, I've been looking forward to sharing this as part of it with you. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. Now I've been going kind of fast, but I want everybody to get there so that you can read this with me. Amen. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> Are you there? Yes. Almost, almost. there. there. Amen. There. There. The Bible says this. I hate Divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. But pastor, what about... I just want you to listen to what's being said. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with the violence as well as with his garments. Here's what I learned today. Just never saw it. I guess I took for granted that I already knew this. Perhaps I was walking in some basic simplification of this principle. I hate a man's covering himself. I have a little footnote in my Bible that says on the, on the word himself, it is an equally valid translation. So I have to go down the bottom of my page, and I will now read it with this translation. And I, may, I, I hate a man's covering his wife with violence as well as with his garment. Wow. We could have a lot more arguments if we talk about divorce. And what, what does God mean when He hates divorce? He hates it because it, it, it tears people to shreds. That's right. well, well, but um, because we're supposed to love, God so loved the world... You, wife, have to forgive your husband. I hate a man covering his wife with violence as well as with a garment. God hates certain things. We've said it before in this church. We'll say it again. If any man in here abuses his wife, I can assure you, the least of your worries will be that you will have no more fellowship with us. We are not the type of men in this church who will see someone, a woman getting beaten on the street somewhere and we will walk away. Actually, had that happen in our neighborhood before we moved. My only regret was that I'm not a fast enough runner to cover the quarter mile before that guy slinked away into a vehicle and sped off. I'm sure the Lord was gracious in that moment. The Lord hates divorce. And He hates a man who's got this covering. Well, when we have a simplified version of the Gospel, then we presume that just because someone said that they're sorry, that we then have to take them at their word. We just have to go, Well, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry I punched my wife. God hates your actions. He hates it. The fact of any type of forgiveness that would be offered has got to be conditional. Um, If I go to a store today and, um, and, and I steal something, does that make me a thief? What if it was to feed... Um, a starving child? Okay, so, so we'll just we'll just leave that where it is. What if I did it again tomorrow? And the next week? And the next week? How many times could I actually go out and steal something before you started looking at me as a thief? thief? Why is that clear to us? And when we talk about standing in God's presence in a church body and people continuing in sin, why is that not nearly as clear to us? Because we're, deceived. because we're deceived. We've said it before. The problem with deception is the people who are deceived don't realize they're deceived. The people who actually love themselves and hate the Lord don't often sit around going, you know what, I hate God. They go, eh, I'm a pretty good guy. There is a conditional amount of forgiveness here. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23. Exodus 23 and verse 21 says this. This was after God told them about sending an angel ahead of them. Verse 21, pay attention to Him and listen to what He says. Do not rebel against Him. He will not forgive your rebellion since My name is in Him. God does not excuse rebellion. He does not excuse your rebellion. (laughs) Now, we've all walked in rebellion before, but the truth is, is that's no longer who we are. The grace that God gives allows us to come and change from what we were to be something new a new creation, but we cannot continue to walk in rebellion and think that we will find His forgiveness. His words throughout the word, throughout the Bible tell us this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-nine. Deuteronomy twenty-nine. Let's start in verse sixteen. It says this, You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure that there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord to go and worship the gods of those nations. at At least idolatry was just something of long, long ago. At least there's nothing in our day and time that people find idolatrous. (laughs) We've, We've clearly passed all of those. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Wow. When we allow our hearts to be swayed by things, when we allow our hearts to be swayed by position or by titles, we are allowing a bitter, bitter poison root to take hold in us. When such a person, verse 19, hears the words of this oath, He invokes a blessing on himself. (laughs) I now pronounce a blessing on me. Oh, okay. What is that blessing? I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. Deuteronomy 29, right? Is this not exactly what people do today? (laughs) Look, I'm fine. I go to such and such church. I am a good person. I give money to charities. I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. Wow. If you are now trying to think of exemptions and exceptions to this, let's read what the Word of God says. If you stay in this kind of a state, I'm going to be safe even though I do my own thing. Then you are the God that you worship. And He will not forgive you. You will have no other gods besides Me, before Me, in place of Me, in anywhere proximity. You can't do that. And neither can the people that we come in contact with. The people that we are coming up in contact with every day, they stand condemned unless... unless... The natural state of humanity is condemnation to be far from God unless His grace falls upon us to say no to ungodliness, and we become to Him the way that He prescribes, not in our own version. That's true. For time's sake, I'm going to skip down to verse 29. It continues with this thought, right? Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29. This is a verse that our church uh, if you don't know it yet by heart, if you just hang around long enough. There are verses that you just kind of learn. If you're listening, a little secret, everybody, we repeat a lot of the same Scriptures over and over. If you're just listening, these will become a part of who you are. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is one of those verses. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Do you know what that summarizes? That summarizes the passage that just talks about I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way. It summarizes a passage of judgment. Secret things belong to the Lord. (laughs) The fact that He will allow you to see something like this and not go your own way and open your eyes so that you're not deceived, that is an incredible thing. That is a secret thing that God gives to you. And if you treat it half-heartedly, what does that say about us? Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. Matthew 13, 11 says this. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This idea that we can come and get repentance anytime we want, Every drug addict thinks they can stop at any point they want. Isn't that one of the definitions? Man, I can stop. It doesn't control me. And you're looking at them going, it's the only thing that controls you. That's all that you think about. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. You can't come to the Lord unless He draws you, unless His Spirit allows you to come to Him. You can't even see Him anyway. But not to them. Do you know why why Jesus spoke to people in parables? You know why? So they wouldn't see. So they wouldn't hear. Take a look. Um, Verse 12, Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Have you ever been lost in a conversation? Somebody's speaking another language and you're like, wow, that must be serious. I have no idea what's going on. One of my earliest, uh, when I first got to college, took this ridiculous math class. Ella would have probably breezed through. I was struggling because it felt like the professor was riding with one hand and he racing with the other. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Is it amazing to you that Jesus spoke to people in a way so that some of them would hear the words that, were, that he was speaking but not at all get the true meaning of what he was presenting? Because so loved the world. Yes, he does. It's true. But he also hates those who are wicked. Yep. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. If we're going to fear the Lord, we have to do the same. This is the fullness of the gospel. For the people, this people's hearts has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. <laughs> uh I la, la, la. can't hear you. I can't see you. Is, isn't that a childish response to something? Yeah. I don't like what you're saying, so I'm just going <laughs> to plug my ears and sing along so I can't hear and perhaps know the truth. That's what the people were doing in their hearts. That's why Jesus spoke to them in parables. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> you know, we started off today with, uh, with John 3.16. We went to a very familiar passage in Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Yeah, it was after he had just want, <laughs> talking about hating the things that God hates. Now let's approach another basic part of Christianity here about prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's start in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. You know, I've heard it said that out of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus They never asked Him how to do miracles. They never asked Him how to walk on water. What they did is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because if we can pray like You, maybe the rest of this would actually come into fruition. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Next verse. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. <laughs> These elementary things... That we look, oh, we know how many thousands and millions of people can quote versus, can quote the Lord's Prayer here. Thousands, right? The most ungodly of people, they'll, you start, Our Father, who art in heaven. They will chant it back to you from rote memorization. But you know what they don't know? If they don't forgive, they won't be forgiven. It's the same passage. This is the context. Let me teach you how to pray. Now let me teach you how that your prayers can be answered. This has got to become not only a part of what we hold for ourselves, but what we hold for those around us. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Verse uh, 25. It says this. And when you stand praying. Here we are praying again. If you hold anything against anyone, Hey, can everybody look up at the screen for me, for just a second, with me? Uh, we're we're going to read it together, okay? Ready? And when do you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone? Hold. Hang on just a second. So if you hold anything against anyone, does that leave anything? Does that leave any options for us? If you hold anything against anyone... What is your job? Forgive Him. You know why? <laughs> because God wants your prayers to be answered. And if you are holding unforgiveness, I don't like the way that Judah spoke to me when I came in today. You know what the Bible doesn't worry, ask you to worry about? It doesn't ask you to worry about how He said it. The Bible says, For you to fix your heart... This is why we do the marriage counseling that we do here at this church. We want you to focus on the Nabal characteristics first. Take care of your own sinful nature and then act in a godly way towards someone else. That is the basic premise of our church. That is one of the foundational teachings because it's one of the foundational teachings of the Bible. Quit looking to get justified in other people's eyes. Get yourself right first and then act as an agent Of the light that God brings. Forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. We were once far away, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's turn to uh, Psalm chapter 36. Psalm chapter 36. I talked about it earlier. We want to have rules spelled out for us. We want to have religion. We want to have a denomination to tell us what we can think and what we can't think. What's right and what's wrong. But it removes from us, if I'm doing what someone else has told me to do, then it's real hard for me to, I may not have the, I won't have the same passion. I won't have the revelation because I just went, oh, I guess. I guess I'll just do it because Elder Steve said to do it. He seems to have a walk with the Lord. We have to learn how to be mature believers in and of ourselves, walking away, um, let me say it a different way, advancing past, maturing past the elementary teachings. I don't want you to walk away from the elementary teachings. I want them to become elementary to you. I want them to become so ingrained in you that you understand these things without it even having to be a direct thought because you're on to more mature things. Jeremiah, there's a passage that says, if you've been worn out fighting with people on foot, You've been running and you're already worn out. How are you going to handle the people that are on horses? When, the re- when, when this stuff gets really difficult, how are you going to handle that? You can't even handle the small stuff. What I'm saying is, let's learn to handle the small stuff so that God continue to entrust us with what His will is. Maturity says, I will find what the Lord wants me to do and I will do it. You know what that means? That means we could each have and we each do have a different assignment. So much more complicated than just saying, everyone do this. No. Daniel, you are responsible to hear from God and lead your family properly. You have to do that. There's no other... He has to hear from the Lord. You know what we want to do? We want to help. We want to encourage. We want to go, oh, you might want to check that out, brother. Or right on. But He has to hear. You know what that means? That means so do you. You can't let someone else dictate, wow, I really like... I really like Frank, so I guess I should run my family like Frank does. Hey man, I can get encouragement from my brother, but I have to hear from the Lord. You have to hear from the Lord and do what He says. Look at Psalm 36. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. <laughs> Good way to start it off, right? Right? There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate sin. Did you catch that? For in his own eyes, he flatters himself. I'm reminded of Revelation 3. Hey, we're good. We're rich. we got everything going on. We don't need anything. God said, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You are so flattering yourself in your own eyes, you can't detect or hate your sin. Well, Pastor Wade, that's not me, because I can detect my sin. Well, good for you. Detect or hate your sin. Do you hate the sin that you do? Do you hate it? Does it, does it cause a visceral reaction within you? Or are you just, eh, we can wink at it. At least I'm not as bad as Chris. Yeah, in my own eyes, I flatter myself too much if I'm worried about what you are doing versus a God who sees perfectly into me. Be careful if you have gone for weeks, months, without the thought of detecting your own sin. There are so many parables, and I I didn't get to some of them. The parables are speaking exactly to the body of Christ, and we look at it and we see the bad people and go, okay, that's the unsaved, and we are the saved. I am the good one. It is our natural tendency to flatter, to think too highly of ourselves. It is our natural tendency to flatter ourselves too much, to even detect or to hate our own sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful, Do you shade things? Do you say something one way to somebody? Do you you try to make yourself more important than you feel? Do you just out and out lie to people and think it's okay? The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. (laughs) They've ceased to be wise, have a fear of the Lord, And to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Verse 5. Your love, O Lord. How can you understand the love of the Lord if you don't understand how much He hates evil? How can we bring a message of salvation to the world when we don't ever tell them that they actually need to be saved from anything? That God hates their wickedness. That God abhors where they stand when they stand in leadership of their own life. God hates it. Do you know what you can do after you establish that God hates their sin? Is then you can explain to them, Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens. What I find that when I understand God's hatred towards sin and evil... I appreciate his love all the more. I can can swim in the thoughts of his love that he is a good God and that all he does is right. I can enjoy that thought process because I understand the other as well. Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Is there anything bigger? Is there anything more majestic? Is there anything more powerful and more firm and more steady than the mountains? Your righteousness is like a mighty mountain. Your justice like the great deep. Whether the heights of the mountains or the depths of the ocean. Oh Lord, You preserve both man and beast. What? God so loves the world. He so loved the cosmos that it matters to Him even about the animals. It's His desire to bring His righteousness through every part of all of creation. Verse 7, How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men, (laughs) the great and the lowly, the kings and the paupers. How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. Find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. How in the world are we supposed to feast on the abundance of your house. We have to come to Him. We're gonna, we understand that the treasures are there and we come into His presence. You give them drink from your river of delights. Doesn't it make the river of His delights all the more sweet when you understand that there is something else? That's not all that there is. <laughs> the rivers of delight. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light, we see light. It's not until we understand what He is speaking to us. In your light, we see light. When, Jesus, when God spoke and said, let there be light, we see it in John, we see it in Revelation, that we need the light. We can't even see the light <laughs> until He makes it available to us. Verses 1 through 9 give us a picture of the wicked and then God's glorious righteousness. Look at verses 10 through 12. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evil doers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. The picture of what this is, an oracle of my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Can you put up verse 9 on the screen and leave it there? Would you guys stand with me today? (laughs) For with you is the fountain of life. What I want you to be able to walk away with today is this. If the Lord feels a certain way about something, so should I. Amen. If the Lord hates something, I should hate it. The opposite of love. I should hate it. Did I give you enough verses today that there are things, to let you know that there are things that the Lord hates? Yes. Don't you walk away from this. You hear it everywhere of God's love, and that is a truth. I'm not negating the truth of God's love. I'm trying to reinforce the truth of God's hate so that we can, leave, uh, that we can mature past elementary teachings and find maturity in Christ. How are you doing at feeling the way that God does about things? if I make that as my standard, God, I can only think what you think, I only want to say what you say, I only want to feel what you feel, then that means every single person I walk up to, you know what I can't do? Say that my automatic message is, God loves you. What if God abhors that person? What if they're abusing children and we go, God loves you. You're a wicked man and you're, in, you're in deserving of the hell fire that is there. That's what you deserve, sir. That is where you are, ma'am. You are not... God does not love you. That requires so much more maturity on our part. We have to hear from the Lord about everything. Lord, I just want to hear what you hear. I just want to feel what you feel. I just want to say what you say. I just want to do what you do. And if you can't say that, then you become basically simplified in your walk with the Lord. If you have one pat answer that you walk up to people and it's your spiel, then you're a salesman, you're not a Christian. Wow. Quit trying to sell people the gospel. The gospel is not something that you can sell to people. Don't think that you can go to a sales school and become a better evangelist. How about we actually have to grow up and look at the people that are right before us, and hear from the Lord, and respond in that moment to what God is doing. Because you know what you'll find: you'll find that you'll walk up to someone, and mercy and compassion will overwhelm you, because you realize they are trapped in sin, and that God has sent you to pull and snatch some from the fire. There were others that you are the agent of judgment upon that person. That's right. But I like—I don't care what you like. I don't care what I like. I don't get to choose this. And neither do you. I wonder what our church would look like if we all only reflected God's heart. I'm not presuming that we'd be bigger. I don't care if we'd be bigger. I don't care if we'd be smaller. I care that we do exactly what God is telling us to do.